Hello and welcome to the Series Learns podcast, hosted by Series Unified School District Superintendent Dr. Scott Siegel and Deputy Superintendent Dr. Denise Wickham. This monthly Q&A addresses topics related to education and their impact on Series students, families, and staff. To ask a question for a future episode, email communications at series.k12.ca.us. Now your hosts, Scott and Denise. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Series Learns. This podcast was launched near the end of the 2019-2020 school year to address families' distance learning questions when campuses abruptly closed amid the COVID-19 crisis. Denise and I had hoped we would be back under different circumstances this year with students learning in classrooms. However, unfortunately, that has not yet been possible. That's right, Scott. So in this episode, we want to give our listeners an update on where we are this school year, how we got here, as well as what's next. What can you tell us about the status of COVID-19 in our county and how that's impacting schools? Well, Denise, I'm sure our listeners are very aware that COVID-19 cases peaked out in June, July, and August and got actually very high. The good news is, and I'll start with the state, that the COVID numbers are coming down fast. And actually, by some measures in the state of California, they're coming down faster than anywhere else in the country right now. But we have a long ways to go. And in Stanislaus County, we're in a COVID-19 hotspot. Our county has been among the top counties in California as far as case counts. That's changing and the conditions are improving dramatically, but we have a long ways to go still. One concern is that the particular area that Ceres Unified School District serves is one of the hot spots in Stanislaus County. So not only are we in a hot spot in our county, but we're in a hot spot in a hot spot. So it's going to be some time before we get levels where we can take kids back to school safely. I expect perhaps by the end of October, if everything goes well, we may be talking about bringing elementary kids back to campuses. So that sounds very exciting, the thought of being able to bring students back to campuses. I understand there's a waiver process that's happening in the county. Would we be applying for a waiver or would we be going back full time? How would that look, Scott? So let me start with the first piece of that about the waiver. There is a waiver available. Now, I think it's important for everyone to understand that when the state created this waiver process, the idea was that if you were in a county where case counts were falling but still high and classes or classrooms were still not yet able to open by the rules, that you could apply for a waiver if you were in a remote section of that county or area of the county that had lower case counts than were causing the county to be a hotspot. So I don't believe it's in Series Unified's best interest or the students and parents and relatives of the parents of Series Unified to actually open through a waiver at this time. That doesn't mean we would never consider one, but the cases are still just too plentiful in this area for us to put a waiver in. What we're waiting for is numbers to fall to a point that we can reopen without a waiver. And I do believe that that will happen. I'm guessing that numbers will start to come into that range sometime in early October. That's, again, a guess at this point, just my best take on how the numbers are falling. But that would allow us to reopen by the end of October or earliest parts of November without a waiver. We'll reevaluate that. And if it ends up that the case counts stay high, we'll think about whether it's appropriate or not. I am really cautious about putting our families and our students and our staff at risk by putting a waiver in place and reopening before the numbers call for us to do so. And frankly, right now, the numbers do not yet call for us to do so. So if we don't opt for a waiver, which makes sense in order to keep our staff and students safe, 
Then what does school look like once we are able to return with the safe number count that we are waiting for? And that safe number count is actually seven cases per day per 100,000 people in Stanislaus County. And if you do the math, that's roughly 40 cases per day. So I expect us to get there by the end of the month. I could be wrong, and we don't, but I do expect that. So what does it look like? We have a committee that's working right now determining the best format for us to reopen. It's not going to be where we have every student suddenly go back onto campus every day for the entire instructional day. Conditions are not safe for that, and we will not be able to keep schools open. We'll have infection spread. What we are thinking is that we may be able to have approximately half our elementary students on a campus each day and maybe rotate either by the time of day or every other day, something to that effect, keeping about half the kids on campus, which will reduce crowding in classrooms, it will reduce crowding in cafeterias, and reduce crowding in the playground areas, which will help keep our students and staff safe, and by extension, the families of our students and our staff. So it sounds like the committees are working on some options for the elementary campuses and how to bring back our K through sixth grade students. That's wonderful news. However, we also have students that are in seventh through twelfth grade, our secondary students. So what might returning to school look like for them? When secondary schools come back, I expect it to look very similar to what I just talked about for elementaries, where we don't have every kid on campus at all times, maybe about half of the students in classrooms, which again will reduce crowding in all of the shared facilities as well as the classrooms. That's important. Now, I don't expect secondary schools to come back at the same time as elementaries, and here's why. If we have an elementary student get COVID and come to school without knowing they have it, and we find out later, we may have to shut down a classroom because that student will have potentially infected the other students and the teacher in that classroom. If we have a secondary student in junior high or high school who have six or seven classes come to school not knowing they're sick and we find out later, not only will that student have infected all the students in their first period class, but all the students in their second and third and so on, which means that all of those students will then go out potentially and infect all the other students in their other classes, and to shut down a classroom is impossible. It would actually be the entire school. So at elementary, one student can shut down a classroom, and at worst, a grade level if grade levels do some sharing. At high school or junior high school, one student can shut down the whole campus. And one of the guiding principles for us on this is we want to be able to reopen, but we don't want to reopen and then have to close again. That may happen, but we'd really like to avoid that. So this is one of those things where we'd rather be cautious and slow to the table to get this done, but when we go, we stay. So my understanding is once students return to school, there could be various options for them, possibly an every other day option, and our secondary students will likely remain at home for a longer period of time. What will happen to families who have elementary students that are a bit anxious or nervous about students returning to campus and interacting with other children. We're going to offer those parents who wish to have their students not come back onto campuses an independent study or distance learning type option. Just as we were going to do in the summertime, we had parents signing up for that until we ended up not having any on-campus classes. So that will be available. I do want to clarify with the timing of this for high schools, I neglected to do that, that if we're thinking that if everything goes well, we may be able to open elementaries at the end of October, early November. I'm hopeful 
that we might be looking at a target date at the beginning of the second semester. Now, I want to make sure our listeners are clear. These are best guesses. And if conditions worsen or don't improve at the correct rate, those dates won't be met. But that's currently what we're planning for in terms of trying to get plans together and have our schools ready to go. Hopefully it will happen. Uh, In the worst case scenario, it might not. I do want to emphasize that staff have been doing the best that they can to provide an education for students working at home. That is not what teachers and staff signed up to do when they first became educators. They really can't wait to have the opportunity to have kids back on campuses again, because we all know that this is not the ideal setting that we need to provide the best education that we can for kids. So knowing that, knowing that we're doing the best that we can, there are families and students out there that are continuing to struggle, struggle with technological resources, struggling with understanding the concepts that are being taught, struggling with the social isolation that they're currently experiencing without being around their peers and their teachers and staff that care about them. So what resources are available for our students who are continuing this learning for several more weeks, if not several more months. Denise, those are great points that you made about distance learning not being what we wanted. Our teachers are working their rear ends off right now. It's like every teacher is a first-year teacher learning how to teach again. We know that this is not the way kids learn best. We know this is an inferior product that we're putting out, and it's not for lack of effort on the parts of our staff. They are working very hard. It's just not the right model. So we're committed to getting our kids back just as soon as we can safely do so. In the meantime, there are many resources available. I'll start by referencing parents to our distance learning website that has a list of these available because I'll miss some of them. But we've contracted for extra tutoring services. Every student has the ability to get four hours of free tutoring. We have staff that we've hired to help re-engage students, identify students who are struggling and get connected. Our teachers in the front line are doing a fantastic job contacting parents if there are issues with students being engaged and students learning. I would urge parents to reach out to the teachers if you have any concerns and get the help that you need to get. It is available. We have a lot of staff and a lot of resources ready to help your kids to the best that we can at a distance. And in some cases, on a one-on-one basis, we may be able to provide some additional assistance at school, outside the instructional day, or even in some circumstances, inside the instructional day. So there's a lot available. I'd urge you to check the website. I'd urge you to check with your student's teacher or with your administrator at your site. We also want to throw into this mix that socio-emotional health is very important, and we have resources for that as well. If your student is struggling, your child is unhappy, please contact your school site. We have counselors and mental health resources that we can work with your child with. So knowing that students need to be connected to a device in order to access learning, how has our participation looked so far during distance learning? And how are we addressing the needs of the students that don't have the access that's necessary? So participation is actually off the charts right now. Students are attending Zoom meetings. Students are being marked present because they're participating in some way each day. Now, the issues that this brings up are one, technology, and two, completion of work. So I'll take one of those at a time. In many cases, we're having issues having students turn in all the work. 
and that's going to impact their grades. So their attendance may be good, but their grades may be suffering right now. And so I would really urge parents to check in with their teachers, find out, is my child turning everything in? Are there assignments I need to make sure that they get in? Our teachers will be very accommodating, I believe, in terms of accepting work. We just want to get the assignments in so we can get it counted towards the kids' grades. The technology issues, to some degree, have been worked out in this respect that Nearly every student in Series Unified School District has some degree of connectivity at this point. So it's not a matter of our kids connected. And we can tell from the Zoom calls that virtually all of our kids have connections. The issue becomes one of quality. So not every kid has a high-quality internet connection. And if that's a problem for you and your child, I would urge you to reach out to our school site, our technology helpline, and see if we can improve it for you. In some cases, we'll be able to. In some cases, we don't have an immediate solution because we're dealing with some connection issues out in the country areas and and other issues that may be difficult to resolve. But we certainly want to try and continue to try to make that better. That all said, there are certainly some strategies that we think are important for parents to be aware of when kids are on Zoom calls. If you have multiple kids in a household all on Zoom at the same time, that may be impacting the ability for each computer to have a good, robust connection. So we would urge you to see about seeking out additional hotspots if that's necessary. Also, the distance that your child is from the hotspot could be a problem. There are some tricks on Zoom, such as turning your video off when you're speaking that will make your voice clearer. So teachers will help with that, and our tech line can help with all of those. We want to continue to work these issues out so that kids are less and less impacted by the quality of the technology. So Scott, knowing that distance learning is not ideal for our students, and some of our students are continuing to struggle with attending regularly or participating to the high level that we would expect in completing their work and with grades possibly suffering for some students, how do you see us being able to recoup the learning that students are not getting right now from the daily instruction that they would normally be receiving? Yes, the reality is that because we are not meeting with students face-to-face as regular school, there's going to be learning loss. And anybody who tells you otherwise is not telling you the truth. It's, there's going to be learning loss. Our job is going to be to confront that and make it better. And we intend to do so. The reality is it may take us more than one year to do so. So we are committed to the long term with your students of making sure that they recover all of the learning that may have been missed during this year. That will include running summer school in a more robust fashion than we ever had before, running after school programs, providing tutoring services, perhaps providing additional intervention teachers for during the day to provide other services that we can only think about right now or start planning for right now in the coming year or two or even three to make this right once we get through the time period where we are not able to all be together at the same time. Well, that's it for this episode of Series Learns. We appreciate you, our listeners, tuning in and invite you to send us your questions for our October 15th episode at communications at series.k12.ca.us. I'm hopeful at that time we will be able to update you on the status of returning at least some days for in-person learning. Until then, stay safe, everyone. 